Bill McCombs was baptized, and several of us remember during construction, right up here on this wall, we wrote the names of people that we were praying would come to faith in Christ. Michael's name was up on the wall, and he was baptized here. He got saved Wednesday night. Yeah, give glory to God for that. Last Sunday morning, right in the back here, two women prayed to receive Christ right after this service. And uh, Jared, way to go, man. You're following the Lord in obedience, and thanks for sharing your story, and excited for you and Ashley. And, uh, and Emery, if he's still back there, Emery, way to go, man. How cool to have your dad baptize you. We rejoice with all of you who've taken this step. And I want to say welcome back. Some of you are back gathering, perhaps for the first time. Several are still joining online, and we'll keep our services live streamed as well. Now, according to LifeWay Research, when asked what their most significant struggle is, pastors indicated, yeah, this got my attention when I read it, I'm like, what's the number one struggle for pastors? Any guesses? Board members. Board members. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> That's not true in this case. <laughs> well, but, but the, there's a theme there. Pastors pointed to the number one issue is disunity among their congregations caused by covid and the various protocols put in place. Now, there are many factors that no doubt play a role in this problem, but one statistic may underscore a significant contributor to division today. This was part of the study, quote, On any given day, evangelical Christians are twice as likely to open Facebook as their Bible. 66% use Facebook at least once a day. 49% are on Facebook several times a day. About 40% watch a YouTube video at least once a day. But only 32% of us evangelicals say they read their Bible every day. And so many Christians are being shaped, discipled, if you will, more by social media than by Scripture. Have you noticed social media has not made us more social? It's made us anti-social, angrier, more divided. I came across this example of how social media works. Somebody said this, they posted this, I prefer mangoes to oranges, to which a random person responded. So basically what you're saying is you hate oranges, you also failed to mention pineapples, bananas, and grapefruit. Educate yourself. I'm literally shaking. <laughs> That's often how it is today. Well, we've been learning in our One Another series, we're called to care for and be united with one another. Last weekend, we established this truth. Jesus is praying for us to be a community of unity. We were in John chapter 17. It's so easy for us to divide, isn't it? I'm reminded of the story of a man stranded on an isolated island. He was alone on this island for many years, and so he made himself a hut. 
Well, eventually the island was discovered and the man was rescued, but before they went off the island, the man wanted to show the rescuers around this isolated island. He first showed them his hut, and he was really proud of it. He built it with his hands, and he said, this is the home I built, and then he showed them another building. He said, well, this is the church I built. Well, as they're getting ready to leave the island, the rescuers noticed there was another building, and so they said, hey, what's that building over there? And the man answered and said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Today, our focus is on accepting one another. Open up your Bibles. I want you to see God's Word with your eyes. If you don't have one with you, there's one right in front of you or turn your mobile app on. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14 and 15. Here's what I'm hoping we're going to learn. Since we're accepted by Christ, we must accept one another. When you come to Romans chapter 12, you come to the practical section of the book, although I would argue the whole book is practical, even the doctrinal part. But when you get to chapter 12, it focuses on how we can put things into practice. And we're going to learn in chapters 12 through 16, those are the, those chapters, those closing chapters, Paul speaks more about the matter of accepting one another than he does any other topic in that section some 30 verses that deal with this topic because if we separate from those who differ from us on minor matters we're going to be left all alone Paul's introducing us to two distinct groups of people in the church at Rome the weak and the strong or as one pastor refers to them the weak and the weaker here's the situation the believers are divided. There's tension in this church. There's also tension going on in the church at Corinth. You can read about that as well. Believers were divided. What were they divided over? Well, special diets and special days. This was the big problem. The problem was whether it was okay for a Christ follower to eat meat that had been offered to an idol before it was sent to Bob the butcher. <laughs> so some people had no issue with it at all. While others felt by eating meat, a person could become spiritually contaminated. And so this group followed a special diet, and they felt that some days were more spiritual than others. The second group, well, they had just one big hang-up, group number one. See, they knew they were free to eat beef wellington and worship on any day they wanted. Now, most of us struggle with two tendencies. We like to compare, and we're prone to control others. We easily fall into thinking the way we view life, the way we do things, well, that's the correct way. Which means people who have different views or people who do things differently than we do, it's not just different in our minds, it's wrong. You know, it's so easy for us to elevate our personal preferences to moral matters by which we end up judging others. Let me give you an example. It's a true story. And you need to keep that in mind because as I tell it, you'll think that can't be true. Well, Chuck Swindoll tells this story of a missionary family who was forced to leave the mission field because of peanut 
butter. The young family served where peanut butter was difficult to get, so their friends in the States shipped them peanut butter. What they didn't realize was the other missionaries on the field considered it a mark of spirituality for a missionary to not eat peanut butter. Why? Well, they couldn't get peanut butter there, so their strong belief was every missionary needs to give up peanut butter. Well, the newer missionary family considered this just a simple difference of opinion, so they continued to receive peanut butter shipments. Unfortunately, the pressure to conform was so intense that this young family gave up, they packed up all their belongings, they left the mission field disillusioned and extremely cynical. So if these older missionaries would have studied our passage for today, Romans 14 and 15, they might have been able to keep this young family on the field. There are at least six avenues of acceptance found in these two chapters. We're going to follow the acrostic accept. Let's start with the letter A, avoid passing judgment. So those who clung to the law condemned those who enjoyed their liberty. While the more mature Christians, those who ate meat, well, they looked down, they despised the immature ones. Paul tells both groups to chill out or something like that. He tells them to chill out and not be chilly toward each other. We'll see it right in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or accept him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other translations, the word welcome is the word accept. It means to take to oneself, to kindly receive into one's company. So we're to do more than just put up with each other. It's more than that. We're exhorted to extend warm fellowship and not turn a cold shoulder. We're to allow others the freedom to hold convictions which are unlike ours and welcome them in spite of our differences. The word opinions, well, that refers to that which is debatable, doubtful. We could call them gray areas. It would be those gray areas of the Christian life. There are at least three categories specified in Scripture. First category is this, those things that are right and they're always right. When God says it, he says, this is what's right. This is what I expect my people to follow. There's an example. Just go back one chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Very clear. So there are those things that are right, and they're always right. And then there are those things that are wrong, and they're always wrong. We have evidence of that. Same chapter, chapter 13. Look at verse 13. This is strong. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. God says those things are wrong. Look at the last verse of chapter 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So there are those things that are right, they're always right. There are those things that are wrong, and they're always wrong. 
Paul here is going to discuss the third category, the issues of freedom, preference, if you will, which involves secondary matters. So a disputable matter is an honest difference of opinion between Bible-believing Christians on how best to apply a biblical principle. Would you observe, we're told not to quarrel over opinions. The Bible has a lot to say about disagreements. Interestingly, the problem isn't so much about disagreements. The problem is quarreling. Quarreling is identified as the problem. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.14. Charge them before God. What's the charge? Not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins, ruins the hearers. Many years ago, Beth and I received some marriage advice that, well, we still use. It's actually just one phrase, and it comes up many times. Sometimes we say it out loud. Sometimes it's best not to say it out loud, to kind of keep it inside. Well, I'm going to pass that marriage advice along to you. You're welcome. <laughs> Here it is. Not wrong, just different. It's funny, after the service, at the 9 o'clock service, I was talking to a couple out there, and the, the wife said, thank you so much for that. That was so helpful. Not wrong, just different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. And her husband came over, and she said, right, that's very helpful. He started glaring at me, and he walked away. So I don't, I don't know if that was that helpful to them. That was free of charge. Use it if it's helpful. Look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So what's going on there? Well, that could be referring to the saved Gentile who feels like he can eat whatever he wants while the Jewish convert who was raised on Old Testament dietary laws wants to avoid any possibility of dishonoring God by eating something that's not kosher or something that's been sacrificed to an idol. Verse 3 helps us see the real problem had nothing to do with meat. It's an acceptance issue. Verse 3, let not the one who eats, so the person who eats meat, despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So those who liked Angus burgers looked down on the vegetarians while the Boca burger crowd condemned the carnivores. The word despise is really strong. That's why I put it up on the screen. It literally means to utterly despise with scorn to regard as nothing, to throw out like the trash. It also refers to pushing someone out. To pass judgment has the idea of sitting in judgment. It refers to the punishment reserved for those who've broken God's laws. So listen, when we condemn others, we often make assumptions that are exaggerated, erroneous, and even damaging to someone's character. Here's what happened. Both groups had become polarized because they had taken a disputable matter, they had turned it into a moral issue. Right, wrong, which translated means I'm right and you're wrong. Notice the key phrase at the end of verse 3. 
God has welcomed him. Brothers and sisters, we have grace in the gray areas. I love how Peter summarizes God's attitude toward people who have different backgrounds and viewpoints. Acts 10.34, truly I understand, he says, that God shows no partiality. In the heat of the Civil War, one of President Lincoln's advisors mentioned to the president that he was glad that God was on the side of the Union. Lincoln replied this way, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Now, this is hard for some of us. God accepts both viewpoints And so you and I must avoid passing judgment on those who believe and those who behave differently than we do. Verse 4 makes it clear we must not take the place of God in someone's life. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. (laughs) Just settle this. God is God. You are not. He's God. I'm not. He's perfectly capable of directing the lives of those who follow him. J.D. Crowley has written a very helpful post. It's called 12 Principles for Disagreeing with Other Christians. I found this so helpful that we posted it on Sermon Extras. You can get to that on your mobile app, Sermon Extras tab, or on our website. It's right at the top. You can click that if you'd like to read it. Here are just a few sentences to whet your appetite. You are not the master of other believers. When you look down on someone with a weaker conscience or judge someone with a stronger conscience, you're acting as though that person is your servant and you are his master. But God is his master. In matters of opinion, you must let God do his work. Now, this is fairly easy for us to do because some of us are thinking, what's the big deal, eating meat or not eating meat? It's far removed from our culture or context unless you're a vegetarian or a vegan. So let's bring it closer to home. Uh, It's about to get uncomfortable in here. Friends, you and I need to avoid passing judgment in disputable matters or taboo topics today. Think of it this way. We've had 2,000 years to add to this list. Some of these topics that I'm going to mention are non-starters for you. You'll hear it, it'll just go right past you. Others of them might light you up a bit. The principle still stands. We're called to accept one another even when we disagree about debatable topics. The call is for both sides to respect the freedom of the other by giving them the right to be different. Now, before I mention some current topics that Christians disagree about, let me quote a pastor. Interestingly, his name is Brian Bell, B-E-L-L. This is what he says. Your love may be tested more by Christians who disagree with you than by unbelievers who persecute you. 
Sometimes disputable matters turn us blue in the face, which makes our Christian friends see red, but Paul points out it should be gray. Are you ready to see the list? Well, there's one person. (laughs) You might not be so sure after we go through this. Well, let's go because that's part of knowing God's Word, right? Study God's Word in context. How does it apply to our context? All right, here we go. (laughs) COVID-19. Have you noticed there's differences of opinion on this? Well, let me go further. COVID protocols, masks, physical distancing, What about gathering for worship in person or online? What about styles of music? What about Bible versions? What about spiritual gifts? What about Calvinism or Arminianism? What about end times? What about alcohol? What about medical marijuana? I put this next one down on the list because it it doesn't apply to us, does it? (laughs) Politics? Oh, my word. The tension, the, the... the vitriol and Christians going at it on this one. Well, there's more parenting styles. How about schooling choices that parents make? Homeschooling and public school and parochial and Christian. You know, I had to stop because I couldn't fit more on here, but there are a lot more. There's almost an endless supply of things that we disagree about. Listen, get this. The problem is not that we disagree. It's how we disagree. You don't have to agree with someone's opinions, but don't look down on those whom God has accepted. Get this. You are not better than anyone else. And that person is not better than you either. Don't take that which is disputable and turn it into the dogmatic. Since we're accepted by Christ, we must accept one another. That's the A. Accept C. Commit to live for the Lord alone. The best way to avoid passing judgment is to live for the Lord alone and to recognize that we're at different points in our spiritual journey. Notice verse 5. Paul tells each believer to be fully convinced in his own mind. So that means you don't automatically have to adopt the convictions of others, but instead give careful thought prayerful consideration to all the principles taught in the word of God and as we commit to live for the Lord we should strive then to see fellow followers of Christ as members of the same team the same body growing in grace just like we are you know sometimes we launch assaults on people and we put a label on those who disagree with us have you ever thought or said something like this when you feel really passionate? I don't think he's really a Christian. Or maybe you don't say that out loud, but maybe you secretly think something like this. If she was really growing in her faith, she would do things the way I do or think the way I think. Now verse 6 is a great reminder No one has a corner on commitment. We all need to be careful about questioning another believer's motives. This is a verse you might want to 
underline. I underline five different parts of this verse. The one who observes the day, because now, so now he's transitioned from diet to day, to days. The one who observes the day, observes it, look, in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, the one who eats meat, sacrificed to an idol, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. But doesn't end there, comma. While the one who abstains, who won't eat meat sacrificed to an idol, notice, same phrase, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And so, the one who enjoys Johnsonville brats, come on, I'm from Wisconsin, that's all I could think about. (laughs) And the lover of legumes eats to the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. Both thank God for the food they receive. Both live out their convictions, listen, as an expression of their devotion to Jesus. Don't you love how generous Paul is to both sides? By assuming everyone is exercising their freedoms or their restrictions all for the glory of God. Why, wouldn't it be amazing to be in a church where everyone gave each other the benefit of the doubt on differences of opinion instead of putting the worst possible spin on everything? I found a church like that. It's right here. Verse 10 tells us why we shouldn't judge or look down on others. Oh my, look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your, do you see what the word is? On your brother Or why do you despise your brother? So he's saying, look at your horizontal relationships. You're in the same family. The the word there, Adelphos, means from the same womb. We've both been born again. We're brothers and sisters. So look at those around you. But then he takes us vertical. Look at the next part. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. When we evaluate another person on disputable matters, we place ourselves in position of judge over that person. In other words, when we judge, uh, we're usurping God's role. Jesus warns us in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. The phrase judgment seat comes from the place where the judges sat at at athletic contests. The judge would sit up high in this exalted seat like a throne. There was only room for one person up there. Do you know where everybody else was? Down below. At the same level. You and I will appear before the exalted judge of the world And only he has the right to judge the thoughts, the intentions, the attitudes, the motives, the words, and the actions of every human being. Friends, the last time I checked, God doesn't need any help judging people. He's doing just fine on his own. You know, I've observed people with the greatest number of faults are often the most merciless in their criticism of others. I heard about a group of 53 residents. They're all from a town in Connecticut. They were frustrated that there was so much reckless driving in their community, they signed a neighborhood petition to stop all the reckless driving on their streets. As soon as it passed, 
The police set up a patrol and they pulled over five violators. All five had signed the petition. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, our responsibility is to make sure the Lord is number one in our lives and not to worry too much about the preferences of other. Remember, I'm not talking moral matters, that which is right, always right, that's wrong, always wrong. I'm talking about preferences, opinions, disputable matters. Since we're accepted by Christ, we must accept one another. Number three, control yourself in love. So if we want to accelerate our ability to accept one another, let's avoid passing judgment. Let's commit to live for the Lord alone. Third avenue, be controlled by love. Verse 13, therefore let us not pass judgment Here's one of those phrases, one another, on one another any longer, which means that's what they've been doing, right? But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So my goal shouldn't be to get you to agree with every one of my preferences, every one of my opinions. No, my desire is to pursue peace to welcome and accept others, to avoid causing them to stumble. And if you're a believer, I want to do all I can to help you mature in Christ. Our liberty must always be tempered by love as we recognize our attitudes and actions have an effect on others. Verse 15 is even more specific. Check it out. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, You are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, so those who said, hey, we can eat this meat sacrificed to idols, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That word grieved has the idea of mourning when a loved one dies. So I'm out of bounds if I use my freedom in such a way that it causes another believer to mourn. I shouldn't flaunt my freedoms in Christ, nor should I try to fence others in with my rules and regulations. So let's see if we can flesh this out. Picture a married guy, let's call his name, let's call him Joe. Joe's been taught his whole life to never take off his wedding ring. In fact, that's gone down generations in Joe's family because to take off his wedding ring would be well, it would be breaking his marriage vows. As a result, he never took off his wedding ring because to him, it would be tantamount to trashing his vows. So that's Joe. Imagine Joe has a friend, let's call his name Randy, who's never heard of that belief. They get together on a Saturday to work on Joe's car. As they get ready, Randy takes off his wedding ring puts it in his pocket. Why does he do that? He doesn't want to get any grease on it. Can you imagine Joe gasping as Randy takes off his ring? But to Randy, there's no correlation between his ring and how much he loves his wife. They're just working on a car. Well, that's similar to what the food laws were to some newly converted believers. In their minds, to eat meat violated their vows to God. So when they saw other Christians wolfing down some filet mignon, they were aghast because to them, it meant unfaithfulness to God. Let's go back to Joe and Randy. Imagine Randy pressures Joe to take off his wedding ring. 
Joe gives in to the pressure. He takes it off. But in his heart, he feels as though he's broken his marriage vows and been unfaithful to his wife. When he goes home, he feels guilty because for the first time in his life, he's crossed a line, at least in his mind. So if we're really serious about pursuing love, we'll think about how our liberty can affect someone else's spiritual growth. Once Randy knows about Joe's beliefs about wedding rings, love may dictate he keep his ring on at least when he's with Joe. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. The bottom line isn't whether someone feels the freedom to eat meat or abstain or takes off a ring or leaves it on or wears a mask or doesn't. The key is to remember the kingdom of God, according to verse 17, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If we major in a godly life, we won't fight over minor matters and we won't look down on those with differing views. Since we're accepted by Christ, we must accept one another. E, edify everyone you can. Verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That word upbuilding or edify, it's a construction term. It was used to retrofit a building, to make it stronger, to improve its usefulness, to extend its longevity. The opposite word is found in verse 20. It's the word destroy. It was also used in the construction world. It was used of tearing down a building. So listen to verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. So we have an idea what Paul thinks there. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So when disputable matters, don't fight to prove you're right, because you could end up wronging someone by leading them down a wrong path. A couple questions. Are you a constructor or a destructor? Do you edify or do you erase those who disagree with you? You're just like done with them because they, they don't get it. You've, you've kind of canceled them, if you will. Are you building up believers or blasting away at them? See, our actions, our attitudes, our behavior either strengthens the church or weakens it. And my highest priority in relationships with others should be their edification, building them up, not their demolition. Kevin DeYoung wrote a post entitled Distinguishing Marks of a Quarrelsome Person. It was a hard article to read. In fact, there's 12 marks. I'm only going to share five because way too convicting. Well, let me just read these five and see if any of these find any traction in your own heart. You know you're a quarrelsome person if you defend every conviction you have with the same degree of intensity. Number two, you're quick to speak and you're slow to listen. Number three, you have no unarticulated opinions. 
Everything you think, you express. Number four, your first instinct is to criticize. Your last instinct is to encourage. And number five, you never give the benefit of the doubt. Let's move on. That's a little too convicting. So don't be like this person who says this. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. (laughs) So if that means we abstain from something for the sake of a brother or sister or hold back on expressing an opinion, well, then that's what we do. Let me ask it this way. Do you love people more than you love being right? The question is not, can I do this? But rather, if I do this, if I say this, how will it affect another brother or sister? Since we are accepted by Christ, we must accept one another. P, accept. Personalize your convictions privately. There are certain truths all believers must accept. Those things that are right, always right. Those things that are wrong, always wrong. They're explicitly taught in Scripture. However, some of us may feel like we have to tell people what we've decided about debatable topics. Actually, according to verse 22, the way of wisdom is to keep some things private. Look at verse 22. The faith that you have, well, keep that between yourself and God. Since you're accepted by Christ, we must accept one another and finally treasure people like Jesus does. So now we're spilling over into chapter 15. Listen to the first two verses. We who are strong, that'd be those who can eat meat, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Drop down to verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jesus accepts us unconditionally. We should therefore accept others the same way. Avoid passing judgment. Commit to live for the Lord alone. Control yourself in love. Edify everyone you can. Personalize your convictions privately and treasure people like Jesus does. Last weekend, we ended by reading the relationship covenant established by the navigators. Well, this week, I pulled out the Edgewood Church covenant and I was moved by its depth and its clarion call for us to accept one another. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'd like us to read this together. After you read it, you may think, I want to get a copy of that. You can get it online. Simply go to the resource section under About, click Constitution and Bylaws. It's at the end. We also put some on top of the resource kiosk. Let's read together. As a bond of unity among us, This church accepts for its members the following covenant. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on profession of our faith in Him, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. We promise that we'll watch over and counsel one another in the spirit of brotherly love. 
that we'll remember one another in our prayers and that we will aid each other in sickness and distress. We further agree by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, and to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Let me just mention that last phrase we just read is in the founding document of Edgewood from 1905. Forty charter members committed to that. Well, let's keep going. We further covenant to maintain family and private devotion, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to live carefully in this present world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling. That one makes me smile. I think a parent wrote that one. To avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger to abstain from everything that will cause our brother to stumble, that's right in this passage, or that will bring reproach upon the cause of Christ, and to strive to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that amidst evil and good report, we will humbly and earnestly seek to live to the honor and glory of him who loved us and gave himself for us. You can be seated. So in summary, by God's grace and our commitment to accept one another, we, the members and friends of Edgewood, will put our face in God's book more than in Facebook. And we will deal diligently with disunity by guarding the sweet unity that Christ has given to us. Since we're accepted by Christ, we will accept one another. Chris Rogers is going to come now and share some next steps, some action steps with us. Good morning, church. 